Let's open our Bibles, please, to the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation. The 13th chapter of the book of Revelation. <clears throat> we may spend a little more time on this chapter than we have on some of the others because it's so important. <clears throat> and I think because of giving you uh, some details as we begin with, that it will help clear up some confusion about this 13th chapter. So, I'll try to do that in the best way that I know how. So, if you look at the 13th chapter, verse 1, it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. The seven heads are seven forms of government, and the ten horns of power mean ten kings, and we can go back to the book of Daniel and show you that they do represent that, as well as here in the book of Revelation. And upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So this is an evil beast that rises up out of the sea. We'll talk about the sea in a moment. But then I want you to glance over to verse 11. It says, And I beheld an another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. So we have in this chapter two beasts. One rises up out of the sea. One rises up out of the, the earth, or the land actually. And we'll find that it's the land of Palestine, this second beast in verse 11. And I might try to identify them as we begin. The first beast is a political power. And he rises up out of the sea of nations or peoples. And the other one is a religious power. And he rises up out of the land of Palestine. We'll have to give you details later on. But this is the Antichrist. This is the false prophet. Now, uh, there's a lot of commentaries that you'll read that will say that the first beast is the Antichrist and this one is the false prophet, as if they have to be two different ones. The first one is a political power and the second one is a religious power. And uh, I believe I can give you evidence of these things as we go along. And whether or not the first one is the Antichrist or the second one, it makes very little difference except in interpretation of Scripture, because we know that the Antichrist is going to come. But there's a lot of people find difficulties with identifying this second beast as the Antichrist because they like to think the first one is. And they use the reasoning that he's called later on the false prophet, this, one, this second beast that rises up out of the earth or land, and he has two horns like a lamb, but he speaks like a dragon. The dragon is Satan, of course. And uh, they find a, a difficulty in that he is called later the false prophet. Well, I can remove that difficulty real quick. If Jesus Christ is the true prophet, and he is the true Christ, why would not the Antichrist be the false prophet? And, uh, of course, they go into other areas to prove otherwise. But I have many... Uh, good sources that will also agree, that I also agree with that show that he is uh, the Antichrist, the second beast. 
The first one is the political power, the emperor of the revived Roman Empire. We'll give some information on that as we read verse 2 and 3 and going down. We'll find that it compares with Daniel's interpretation of nations that arose. And we'll give you those nations. Let me just read something that I have. From verses 1 through 10, we have a federation of ten nations of great authority and power. They're characteristics of Gentile powers, not Jewish. Their instruments were told of the dragon. It says the dragon gave them their power, gave them their, their power. And it's imperial Rome that is revived. The Roman Empire ceased in 476 A.D. And we find that the scripture here teaches that this, this empire that we're speaking of was wounded as, uh, to, as unto death, you know. But then he was revived. In verse 3 it says he received a deadly wound, and this deadly wound was healed. So ever since 476 uh, A.D., there has been no Roman Empire But there will be a revival of that Roman Empire. And that deadly wound, he's wounded, will be healed and so he'll be revived from the wound. We'll find that the subjects in this area are demon worshippers. We'll find that its king is a blasphemous person. It says in verse 1, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. So he's a blasphemous person. And he is, he's opposed to the saints. He makes war in verse 7. And it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given unto him over all the kindreds and tongues and nations. And then the doom of that empire is seen in verse 10. Look at verse 10. It says, He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity, and he that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. It says, Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. In spite of the onslaught of Satan through this uh, emperor and through the revived Roman Empire, and by the way, the emperor and the empire can be identified as one, and we can show you Scripture that shows that a king says he belong, that the kingdom is his, and I'll show you that from Daniel as well as other sources. So that the emperor of the revived Roman Empire and the empire are all one that will be defeated in verse 10. He that killeth with a sword must be killed with a sword. And it says, here's the patience and the faith of the saints. So he's telling that the saints during this time are to endure all that opposition that comes against them during that particular period of, of uh, time in the tribulation period. We need to endure even now, but then it will be more critical to endure. And then we find this, this second uh, section, verses 11 through 18, we'll find that this is a vile counterfeit of Christ. Let's read verse 11 again. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. Here's the lamb. Christ is the lamb of God. And he spake as a dragon. So these two horns are an imitation of the priestly and kingly 
authority of Christ. Christ is priest and king. And this one wants to imitate Christ. The devil is a great imitator. And this one is, of course, a counterfeit lamb. He's not the true lamb of God. But he is a lamb. We know he's counterfeit. We know he's false because he speaks like a dragon. And we've identified in our last lesson, some of you missed it, where the dragon, of course, is, is uh, the devil. If you look back in chapter 12, verse 9, we'll read it again because there are other scriptures. But look in the 12th chapter. Just glance back to verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent. Now notice the, the description. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So you find he's called the dragon, he's called the devil, he's called Satan, he's called the deceiver. You have no problem identifying who, who it is. And if this lamb that has two horns speaks like a dragon, then what? We know he's an antichrist or a false prophet, or he's an imitator of Christ. Now then, we find that Satan gives him his power. The devil gives him his power to do what he does. And we'll find in this section that he has supernatural power, that he can work miracles. In verse 14, he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. That's in the sight of this first one. He has power what? To what? Work miracles. And he does it so that he can deceive people. And his mark and number is 666. Six is the number of man and mentioned three times indicates man manifested as superman, the combination of the world, the flesh, and the devil. In other words, evil in all of its power. And his number is 666 in verse 18. There have been many attempts to identify who this is. Some I might agree with and some I might not. But I want you to follow me now as we begin to try to expound. Well, first of all, let me read you what would summarize. Let me read you a summary of what we would find in this chapter. I'll try to do it. In a brief way. And by the way, this is by a man by the name of Rogers. Uh, he, he's a resident in Arizona. But I have a book, a little book, uh, that uh, was written by him a little hardback many, many years ago. And he agrees with A.C. Gablin, Arna C. Gablin, which is another very fundamental uh, Bible expositor of the book of Revelation. But let me just read how he summarizes this and see how much sense it makes to you. It says, and we're reading his comments on the whole chapter. It says, Then I stood, as it were, on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. Well, I rather think it's the Sea of Nations. The Bible speaks of the Sea of Nations and People, but it very easily could be identified as the Sea of that area. And saw the predicted Roman Empire rise up out of the great unorganized mass of mankind. It had seven heads with diadems, indicative of earthly authority, the seven heads, and ten horns with, with blasphemous titles, 
typical of a godless constitutional empire with ten worldly kings. You'll find that in Revelation 17, verse 12, by the way. This empire of the last days had all the features and characteristics of the ancient Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And when we turn back to our references, we begin to interpret this to the book of Daniel. You'll find Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome are indicated by this second verse. Those empires of Daniel's day and ending with Rome. And Rome existing until 476 A.D. when it was wounded or uh, put the end of it. And then finally, if we see a resurrection of it, that deadly wound is healed. <clears throat> it says one of its heads had received a fatal wound which was now healed and, is, and it had such power as to astonish the whole world. The Roman Empire that lost its sovereignty in 476 A.D. will be revived in the end of time and correspond to the ten toes of Daniel's image. That's Daniel chapter 2, verses 40 through 43. And the people gave worship to the devil. Remember, he's caused in verse 4, he says, they worshiped the devil. Worshiped the dragon, which gave power to the beast. Look at verse 4. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. The people gave worship to the devil because of the power he had given to the confederacy. And they exclaimed, who would dare to make war with it? It was permitted to speak and it uttered great boasts and blasphemies against God and his people on the earth and in heaven. And this was allowed forty and two months. You see that in verse five. Forty two months, three and a half years. We spoke of the three and a half years in our last lesson. So this was allowed 40 and two months. <clears throat> it was also allowed to declare war against the saints and to conquer them and was given authority over the nations. Look at verse seven was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given to him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And then all the dwellers of the earth who were were unbelievers worshiped Satan because their names were not written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what it says in verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Verse 9 says, If any man have an ear, let him hear. That means to listen to what is said. If any man has an ear, let him hear. That means let everyone listen to what is said about this. And then, it says, Whosoever is destined to captivity must go into captivity, and whosoever kills with a sword must be killed likewise. And on these certitudes, rest and endurance and faith of God's people. The rest and endurance of the faith and faith of God's people is upon this promise that uh, He will be taken care of. Now then, the second section... Then I saw the Antichrist coming up out of the earth. This is his comments. And he had two horns like a ram, but he spoke like the devil. Now, it says, emblematic of moral and religious power manifested in the prophet and king assumed to be assumed by the false Messiah. So this one that appears, this second beast, is the false Messiah. He is the Antichrist. And we can go back to Daniel and show you exactly 
how that he must... Let me take time to do that right now. And I'm going to take this verse by verse after I get through all of this uh, introductory work because uh, it'll come, it'll become more clear as we take it verse by verse. But I want to give you all of this to prepare you for it. Let me read that statement again. He says, Then I saw the Antichrist, verse 11, uh, coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a ram, but he spoke like uh, the devil. And it says in parentheses, emblematic of moral and religious power manifested in the prophet and king assumed by the false Messiah. Now then, this first beast, and I'm going to try to teach a little as I go along with his remarks. The first beast that rises up is a Gentile, a Gentile power. The second one, the Antichrist, and that's why I believe the second one is the Antichrist, is a Jew. Because he would not be received as the Messiah if he were a Gentile. Can you imagine a Jew receiving a Gentile as their Messiah? They know that the Messiah comes from, uh, from Israel, from the Jewish people. So they would have to believe. And Daniel agrees with this. Let me read in Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. And he's speaking of this particular situation. And the king shall do according to his will. He's talking about this king that shall come. This beast. And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard... Now listen carefully to this statement. This is Daniel 11, verse 37, a very important verse. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. The God of his fathers. This ties him into the Jewish people. He would not speak of this great one that arises and the God of his fathers if he were a Gentile. So you've heard all these things this day and hour, how that, you know, anywhere from... Uh, leader of Russia or a dictator times past or time to come or a Gentile power or even some of our presidents, so to speak, all the rumors going around that he could be the Antichrist. If he's a Jew and if he rises up out of the land of uh, the Holy Land and presents himself as their Messiah there, he might be accepted as an Antichrist, but he'd have to meet all the credentials that would qualify him to be the Antichrist. Or else they wouldn't receive him. Just as I said, can you imagine a Jew accepting a Gentile, an absolute Gentile leader as being their Messiah? Certainly they would not do that. So it says here, Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate he shall honor the God of forces and a God of whom, whom his fathers knew not. So every time it mentions his fathers, it indicates who he is. We could go on and on uh, here in the book of Daniel, but we'll get back to this and we'll comment more on that later on as we continue to study this chapter. But uh, back to our comments on verses 12 and, and 13. <clears throat> at least that far we'll go. 
12, 13, and 14. It says, And he exercised all authority. You have Revelation chapter 13, verse 12 now. Revelation 13, verse 12. Always holds your place where we're studying. He exercised all authority over the empire and used its power and called upon all the people to give worship, worshipful obedience to the revived confederacy, which was dead but is now alive. So he tries to in, institute worship to that revived Roman empire and that confederacy. It was dead. It was dead in 476 A.D., the Roman Empire, but it's now revived during the tribulation period. And he inspires worship and obedience to this revived Roman Empire, this revived confederacy. And he did marvelous uh, wonders, miracles, and uh, Paul identifies him in another way as we would uh, look at the Apostle Paul when we study what he has to say about it. He identifies him as the man of sin that speaks the blasphemous things. I want to read for you in the book of Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 3. Paul says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed... Paul speaks of this same personage as the man of sin. He says, the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So he's going to declare himself to be the Messiah. So this one we see in Revelation chapter uh, 13 and verse 11 is the one that claims to be the, the Christ, and he is the false Christ. He resembles Christ, and he has two horns like a lamb. We know Christ is spoken of time and time again as the Lamb of God in the book of Revelation. I forget how many times. I think I gave you that at the beginning, how many times uh, he's spoken of as the Lamb. I may have it here somewhere. I think it's 20 some odd times. But uh, anyway, we know he's spoken of as the Lamb in uh, the, the word Lamb in the book of Revelation referring to Christ is used 29 times. And it's also used in John 21 verse 15. We gave you that back in chapter 5. So here, he's a false Lamb. In verse 8, You find the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Look at that. That's Christ. Paul speaks of Christ as being the Lamb from the foundation of the world. See verse verse 8, 13 verse 8. But here in verse 11, another beast comes up out of the earth and he has two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. So here's a false lamb. Here's the false Messiah, the false Christ. Later on, he's called the false prophet. Now then, I think that it would be good if we go back to verse 1 and start uh, bringing verse-by-verse comments on it. It says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. There are many times that the sea speaks of 
the sea of nations or the masses of mankind. In fact, Daniel also saw this same thing. In fact, the kingdoms in Daniel chapter 7, these same four beasts. Verse 3 says, And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse from one another. The sea of nations and the sea of peoples. And he begins to say in verse 4, The first was like a lion, that's Babylon. Verse 5, he says, Another beast, a second like a bear, like to a bear, and that is Medo-Persia. It's, they're identified here in Daniel. So you don't have to guess that these were or were not. Because they're very definitely identified as we study uh, more in the book of Daniel. But also you find in verse 6, And after this I, I beheld and lo, another beast like a leopard. This was the Greece-Macedonian Empire. And then in verse 7 you have, And behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it tells you the description. And this was the Roman Empire. And these are the order in which they were in power. You have the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, and the Greece and Macedonian Empire. They call it Greco and Macedonian. Greco-Macedonian Empire. And then the Roman Empire. And these are identified here. And when we read in Revelation 13, verse 2, we're going to find these same symbols show us that these same nations have existed. And this fourth one, the Roman Empire, comes uh, into power again after having been dead, you might say, what, 1,500 years so far. And we don't know when the tribulation is going to be. But whenever it happens, it will be the length of time from 476 A.D. when it was the last of the Roman Empire. And if you study history, you can find the way it was destroyed. And then you will find that uh, it's going to be revived. It's predicted here it's going to be revived. And it's going to have all of these uh, confederacy of nations. The ten uh, kings and the the seven forms of government, seven heads which speak of powers and forms of government. We can give you that too in the book of Revelation where it tells you that they are exactly that as we progress on through, but we'll have to anticipate that in our studies. So if you have Revelation 13.1, it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, so we see that's the sea of nations, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. We say this is a political power, this first beast. He's a, not, only, not only is it the Roman Empire that's revived, but the emperor, the political head of this Roman Empire. Now, how do we know that, that they both can be the same? That the emperor and the empire can be called uh, and put, put into one category. I want you to turn back to the book of Daniel, or I'll read it for you. You don't have to turn back. But I want to give you a verse of Scripture in the second chapter to show you that sometimes the ruler is the empire. The king or the ruler of the empire calls himself the empire. Let me read it for you. In chapter 2 of Daniel, verse 38, and it says, And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, he's speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, right here, uh, hath he given into thine hand, God had given into the, the hand of this king Nebuchadnezzar, and hath made thee ruler 
over them are all. And then he speaks, he says, thou art this head of gold. Now, this head of gold was spoken of in Daniel's prophecies as the empire over which Nebuchadnezzar was in power. But he says, thou art. He says, Daniel, I mean, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you are this head of gold. And though this head of gold spoke of the, of the, uh, the kingdom, yet it was attributed to the leader of that kingdom. We'll find that there are many other statements that could be given. Let me give you this. We said that the beast... Well, let me ask the question. How can we harmonize this political head as the empire itself? Let me read this statement. There lived a French king, Louis the 14th. And in a famous speech, he made the declaration, I am France. So this king claimed, I am France. And there are other incidents in history where we'll find that the king claims himself. In fact, some of you, I'm pretty sure, saw the, uh, the Ten Commandments. The original Ten Commandments that Charlton Heston played in. You remember the, uh, the king of Egypt? And he says, I am Egypt. He made this statement one time. When he was being ridiculed for the lack of his power, you know, in the situation. Some of you may remember. But he says, I am Egypt. Well, see, he was not Egypt, but he was the Pharaoh. And so, to identify this emperor here as the empire, or the empire as, as the emperor over them, is not ridiculous. In fact, it's in harmony with many claims of many of those uh, leaders and rulers over kingdoms. They claimed to be the king, and they claimed to be the kingdom. They thought they were all of it. And so this first one we're talking about, let's look at verse thirteen, uh, chapter 13, verse 1 again. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was likened to, look at verse 2, likened to a leopard, and his feet, look, His feet, as the feet of a bear, were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon, now we know the dragon, we've already identified him as Satan, gave him his power, and his seat, and his great authority. So, this revived Roman Empire, which has over it a mighty leader, And a careful study of Daniel's prophecy in chapter 7 that we uh, talked about could be very well in place here. We find that Daniel had seen Babylonia and Medo-Persia and Greco-Macedonia under the emblem of a lion. You have it here. Look at your verse. You have a lion and a bear and a leopard. And John sees this beast here like a leopard with bear's feet and a lion's mouth. And this revived Roman Empire is an amalgamation of all the parts of the previous world empires. These were previous world empires. 
and the preceding ones are absorbed in the last one. When we read verse 3, we'll find that the Roman Empire, that all of these previous kingdoms and empires are absorbed by the last one. We know that's exactly what happened in history. And it will be done again. Because after the uh, Babylonian Empire, remember it was taken, he says, this night your kingdom will be taken from you and given to the what? Medes and the Persians. The Medo-Persian Empire. It says, in that night was Belshazzar the king slain. And the Medes and the Persians came in and took over. And then after the Medes and the Persians, there was the, (coughs) excuse me, There was the Greece and Macedonian Empire that took over from them. And they were the major power. And then after Greece and Macedonia came the Roman Empire, which was in existence in Christ's time. The Romans were in power before Christ was born. And then existed until way after Christ was crucified and taken back to heaven until 476 A.D. And that was the fall of Rome. So we find that this fourth nation that's spoken of here in the book of Revelation takes on all the uh, likenesses of these previous world empires. And these previous ones are absorbed in this last one, the Roman Empire. Therefore, the revived Roman Empire will contain the different elements In one great monster, you read verse 3. Let's read verse 2 and 3 together now. It says, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, so you have those two, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and his great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. So he's the one that worships authority. And he will be a great monster of a beastly nation with a great leader and a great emperor. And by the way, this Roman Empire will be revived in the first part of the seven years of the tribulation, but will get worse. And when we read here in the 13th chapter, the last uh, 42 months or the last three and a half years, the real uh, energy and power of Satan, the dragon, will be manifested. We saw under the first seal the beginning of the... Forty-two months the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And it becomes now fully possessed by Satan here in the 13th chapter. The ten horns are ten kingdoms which will exist in that empire. And we're told later in the 17th chapter, verse 13, you might turn over there, uh, that these ten kings have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto this beast. All of these ten kings, look at it in 17 verse 13, have one mind. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. And it says, These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He has a day that He will, he will be defeated. So these ten kings, all having one mind and 
and one uh, purpose, they will give their power and strength to this beast. In the same chapter, chapter uh, 17 and verse 8, we'll see that he's the one that comes out of the abyss or the bottomless pit. Look in verse 8. You have chapter 17, verse 8. And the beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. But it says, and go into perdition. He's going to finally meet his doom. So back in chapter 13, verse 4 now. And they worship the dragon which gave power unto the beast. They're going to be devil worshippers. If the dragon is the devil, they're going to be devil worshippers. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So he's going to be a great political, uh, military power that's going to be hard to make war with. And it says in verse 5, And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue. How long? Forty and two months. Now remember, at this time we're in the midst of the tribulation period, which is seven years. And 42 months is the last three and a half of those seven years. And he's going to continue to make war. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given to him to make war with the saints. These are the Jewish saints of the tribulation period as well as possibly some Gentile believers, we don't know, but with the saints that are on the earth and to overcome them. So he's going to be at war against the saints of God and those that receive Christ and to overcome them. That's why you find all of those martyrs that we speak of and have spoken of in the previous chapters before the throne in heaven. But this is upon the earth, isn't it? When all this happens, this is tribulation upon the earth. And it says, and power is given to him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So these are other people. Verse 8 says, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So there's going to be people that will worship him who are not believers and who do not belong to the Lord. Because those whose names are are written in the Lamb's book of life, in the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, will not fall for Him and will not be deceived by Him and will not fall down and worship Him during that time. And many of them will be martyrs because of it. In fact, most of them will be. And we come to verse 9. If any man have an ear, let him hear. That means to listen to what is said. Verse 10, He that goeth, leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He's the one that leads into captivity, and he will go into captivity. He that killeth with a sword must be killed with a sword. So he's going to be killed with a sword. There's going to be an end to the empire and the emperor as well. And then in verse 10, the last part of it says, Here is the patience and the faith of, of the saints. That means that because of this promise that... 